100% of marriages have problems. Successful ones solve the problems just like businesses. Every business has problems. The successful ones figure out how to overcome those problems. What's shaking? This is Rick Jordan. Welcome back to All In. I'm here with a good friend of mine today and just a really huge knowledge resource and a, a good-hearted guy, Stan Paget. How's it going, man? Hey, it's great to talk to you, Rick. Good to see you, brother. This is great. This is the first time we've interacted this way. Usually it's in person. I know. I know. This is exciting. We've shared a good many steaks together around a nice dinner table. and We've shared some steaks and some stages. It's been fun. I know. It has been a lot of fun. I'm really excited, man, as I was saying before the show, to talk to you about relationships today because you've got some experience in that area just a little bit, right? And the the legal side, you're still a practicing trial attorney, which is awesome too. And I know you get into securities, which we've talked about in different arbitration events. But the relationship side, how when did that start? Because I've known you for a year or so now, and I've always known you as just the guy to go to for legal issues <laughs> across the United States. But now the relationship side, where, where did that transition take place and how? Well, the, the transition started about two or three years ago. I uh, In the, the business mastermind we both belong to, Board of Advisors, uh, I was speaking one time and we're going around the room as we always do. And one of the guys says, look, you need to be on stage. And so when I went to talk to him, I really didn't know whether I was gonna talk about, about legal subjects, which is like falling off a log. But we got to digging a little bit and he said, what are you passionate about? I said, yeah. I'm passionate about saving marriages because when you save marriages, you save children. And he said, that's it. So that was the start. Created Relationship Magic Academy and started building courses and, and trying to do some, give out information, give content so that people can change where they are, what they are, how they feel about their partners, how they relate to their children. Yeah. That's what. That's amazing. Kids often get caught up in the mix, don't they? That's the uh, sad kids part. End up being, they end up being poker chips or uh, or weapons, and it's sad. It hurts them every time, doesn't matter how. Wow. Have you ever seen a good situation, you know, because you hear about these, you know, uncontested divorces that are around, you know, is that just a thing for the movies pretty much, or is, it, is that something that actually can happen? You know, it's interesting. It can happen. It's about as rare as hen's teeth, but it can. <laughs> as rare as what? What was that? Hen's teeth. You know, their hens <laughs> have no teeth, so okay. But there's also this principle that I've seen where you have some couples that actually successfully get divorced and keep the best interest of the child in mind and co-parent effectively. Hmm. But there's one trigger that almost always disrupts that. When either one of those partners finds a new partner, all of a sudden the ex becomes Attila the Hun and things change almost instantly. Wow, so it, it, everything, you're saying that from what you've seen, everything kind of rides along pretty well until one of those two parties finds somebody else to spend their time with. And then yeah. what is it? Is it all, to me it seems like it would be right back to almost the marriage fights, right? My, our kids it, don't it, see it, you enough, whatever it is. Oh, it can be much worse because what you see is you see that the offended parent alienate the children from the other parent. Wow. 
while, while there was pretty, and, and it doesn't always work that there's a good relationship even from the moment of divorce. That's, that's true in a, less than 50% of the cases. Goodness. But in those cases where there is that good relationship, more times than not, when that next person comes into one of their lives, it's almost like you say, gee, he or she didn't want me, but they want this other person. And the only way you can kind of get process that is that the other your your former partner must be the bad person because they didn't want you, but they want somebody else. Wow, that's that's heavy, man. I um, I'm going to share a little bit of a personal story that I have, if that's okay. Absolutely. I, uh, I don't know all the details, but what I do know because I, I it's a portion of what you're saying because my grandfather, my father's father, I never knew him. And the reason for that is because his parents, my dad's parents, were divorced when he was young, around 16 years old. And the story goes, at least from what I've been told my entire life, is that my grandmother, my dad's mother, did not allow her two kids to even see my grandfather after that. You know, and I don't know the details of it. Nobody ever spoke about it. But all I know is that that was something that really just gut-wrenched my dad because I remember when I was maybe 13 years old, something somewhere around there, old enough to understand what was going on, that my dad, he just started bawling, crying, just uh, randomly in the middle of the day and dad what's going on and he told me that he had been trying to reconnect with his dad over the past year and a half tracked down where he was and found out that he passed away just about three months prior wow and it had been you know so he was my dad was maybe 40 years old at the time actually as old as i am right now and with that he he was it was 24 years almost 25 years that he had not seen his father and man, I, just seeing him go through that, you know, from from a, a scenario that you're describing right here, you know, mm-hmm. it, it really just rings true because I've seen the other side of that, being a, a grandchild, <laughs> and, and seeing yeah. the aftermath of something like that. You know, my grandmother, she was she was an interesting woman, you know, and she sort of softened in her older years. You know, regret starts to creep in when you get up mm-hmm. in, into your 70s and 80s, and started being really kind. But I was always like the golden grandchild too, like I could do no wrong, and I was always the one who spent the night over at her place, and she treated me way better than she even did my own father who was her own son. It was just an interesting scenario. Now, I don't know the details surrounding the divorce because nobody would talk about it, but I saw the aftermath firsthand. It's not a pretty picture, man. Well, it isn't. And what that really teaches you, there's a great principle in that, Rick, is don't accept the family story. Find out for yourself. You know, I had a, a client call me about three weeks ago, total shot out of the dark company, a guy that I do construction work for as a lawyer. He says, look, I got a situation I need to talk to you about. I said, mm. sure. I thought it was a construction problem. He said, well, I got a call from this lady who says she is pretty sure that her 48-year-old sister is my daughter. Wow. Says, Excuse me? He said, well, the gal apparently she had had a, uh, the man that she thought was her father her biological father her whole life had died and then she was doing like the ancestry.com dna test yeah and it showed she wasn't related to him that she was related to family this other family and through contacting that other family and the sister was doing this without her knowing about it reached out and found him 
and said, do you know this name? And gave the name of the girl's mother. He said, no, I, I don't know that name, but I was in this particular city at that year when she would have been conceived. He said, why don't you send me a picture of her? And got a picture. And he said, I know her. Wow. But the story was, this was the late 60s, early 70s. She said, he said, I met this girl. I was doing work at her dad's house. She asked me to take her back to where she was staying. We hooked up for an hour. I never saw her again in my life. 48 years, he had a child he never knew about. Goodness. I said, well, is your, are you currently married? He said, well, my wife passed away uh, a few years ago. And this guy was in his 70s. I said, well, I know you have a son. I've met him. He said, I've talked to him. He's fine with it. He said, even if, if I want to reach out and have a relationship with her, even if it means that everything I have gets split with him and her, he said, he's fine. I said, so what do I do? I said, well, look, if you want to have a relationship with her, it, that's completely up to you. And then you guys go forward. But so it was the family story in that one was that this other gentleman was her biological father. Wow. Wow. And he wasn't. Goodness. I, if we can, because I mean, I think we've shocked everyone who's listening so far with some horror stories. Mm-hmm. This is real life, though. This is the straight truth. This yeah. is what happens. Most of these scenarios, you know, I'm with you because I think there are those. And I have friends who are this way, who actually were married for a while, had a, had a kid, and they actually had a pretty amicable split. And, you know, they even live three houses down from each other on the same street and share custody of their daughter. And I think about this now, but they haven't gotten to that point yet, what you're saying, to where there's another new person in the mix now for either of them. And it's been three or four years that they've been like this so far, and everything's been great, hunky-dory, for the whole time through. So far, so far. Now Mm -hmm. I'm starting to play this out in my head, what might happen when somebody else comes into the mix a little little later on in life, you know? And it depends, I think the little girl's six now. It depends on when that happens, I'm sure, you know, how much damage and everything that that happens with the child. But is it rougher on younger kids or older kids, do you think? Or is there like a sweet spot to make it the best possible Possible scenario for the children I think it's probably tougher on older children because mm. how do you you know and and the blended family is almost the standard in the country now because yeah. so big a percentage of first marriages fail and even higher percentage of second marriages but one of the primary reasons for that is we have my kids your kids sometimes our kids we have different standards we have exes with different standards in their houses how do you enforce a consistent set of standards over all the houses, all the kids? It's very, very hard yeah. to do. But I think teenagers are more difficult because they they feel like they're adults. I mean, when I was 15 or 16, I thought I knew everything. I feel you. Yep. You know, when I was 18, I realized I didn't know anything yeah. at 16, but I was sure I knew 18, everything then. And by the time I was about 25, I realized I didn't know Jack. And I've kind of gone <laughs> along that path for yep. the last 25, 35 years. So. I feel you. That's that's funny, man. I, I look at my kids now. My my oldest two, they're twins and they're thirteen, and you know I, I think they're extremely good kids, man. I mean, Ooh. they've got strong wills, which is awesome because they can handle themselves. I could bring them to board of advisors and they could have conversations with a Kevin Harrington there with no problem. You know, I've Ooh. brought my son with to hang out with Naveen Jane and Dave Asprey, and he can have conversations with billionaires without an issue. You know, they're really really good kids. But to your point, and it's interesting because I watch the difference in how they 
they look at the different types of parents. For my wife, my my daughter takes more of what my wife says, you know, as the mother, and my son will fight my wife a little bit more than he will me when we try to instill value and knowledge into their lives. You know, so if if the mom says it to the son, I've noticed this, and I, I would assume this takes place too, or, or has some impact on a split at some point in time too, as far as which parents that the child might resonate with a little more, especially when they're older, teenagers like you're th- talking about. I'm just spitballing. I don't know. I'm not an expert, but I'm hearing what you're saying and I'm extrapolating right now okay. to see how something like this could go because I see my son more aligned with me. And if my, if the mom, if my wife tells him one thing, I could say the same exact thing in the same exact way and he'll listen to me before he will her. There's an interesting principle that I've seen in working with children and youth through scouting, through church, through working with their parents, that there comes a point in every child's development, some early teenage years or somewhere around there, where they develop a literal force field that every time mom or dad opens their mouth, it goes, whoa, and nothing gets through. But the interesting part of that is, if you have good adult friends who have the same standards and values that you do, they can say the same words to your child, son or daughter, that you would say, and they would hear nothing because of the force field, because you're dad, and it gets through. It's just a very interesting, you know, it's the principle that someone else, some other figure that you've imbued with a little bit of authority by your approval, by your friendship with them, but they don't have the disability of being mom or dad because to become adults, to become functioning adults, they have to create independence, distance from you. They don't have to create distance from somebody else. It already exists organically. That's incredible. Just a communication issue. For sure. And I, I, that probably rings true, too, because if we're talking about relationship troubles at some points, the husband and the wife, the principle of that familiarity probably still rings true because I'm sure there's things that I could say to my wife or she could say to me that I will never, ever listen to because I think we would have those force fields, too. But if it's some outside party like a counselor or a spiritual figurehead, something like that, that says the same identical thing. Now it's like, well, I, I, you know, sometimes it's I'm sure my wife feels this way. I've been telling you the same thing for five years and now it rings true to you because somebody else told you. <laughs> Yes, but I will tell you, I've also seen relationships where the one party or the other's thought processes and patterns have set in concrete so hard Mm. that it doesn't matter who says anything, they're not going to accept it because it's not what they want. Sure. And therefore, it's just it's just not it's ineffective. Yeah. That's one of the reasons counseling works sometimes and sometimes it doesn't. That's it. That's a fantastic point if we rewind the clock because it it takes time to form those concrete opinions or those concrete thought processes yeah, I'm, I'm sure it does. And uh, this is speaking too as an ex-pastor. You know, I'm still ordained. I don't know if you knew that, but uh, yeah, I, pl- I, did not. I planted three churches. I was always the number two guy. I never wanted to be the number one just because I wanted more autonomous and I could be a little bit more rebellious that way and kind of do what I wanted to do and what I thought was right. You know, but it's a, you know my personality. You you know, it's who I am. I'm the renegade. In the in the church world that I was a part of, I've I've marriage counseled. I've relationship counseled. I've even married people. I've buried 
good people in those I've seen. And I'm curious on your opinion on this, because to me, I've seen that it takes time to formulate those concrete thought processes to where they cannot be changed. And it's almost like you have to catch things at a certain time period. And one thing I've never really been able to figure out is the definitive warning signs that something bad is going to happen relationship-wise five years down the road. Because I, I do feel that if you can identify these, and I don't know how to because I'm not a, I'm not a, a licensed therapist or anything. I haven't looked into this. I was just a pastor, man. That, that's it, right? I, I, don't, I don't have a course like you do. I'm not, I would never call myself an expert on relationships. I'm an expert at lifting people up where they're at, you know, in whatever situation they're in. But how to mend those things, it's a little different story for me and not something that I I want to get involved in quite honestly when I was when I was counseling I was a bad counselor I'm just being straight up because I would identify and it would either be the man or the woman and I would start to take on their offenses because of the great compassion that I have and that's when I discovered that I needed to remove myself from that type of scenario and not do it anymore but what I was hoping to identify maybe you can shed some light on this is what are the early warning signs in relationship trouble specifically to marriage and then how do you attack those fast so it doesn't get to that concrete point in your head? Okay. I'm going to give you two pieces. One is when I was serving as a bishop, I, have a con- I had a congregation of over 600. And periodically I was counseling with couples who were had already made the decision they were going to get divorced. And when they would sit in front of me, I would, just go, I would tell them, look, at some point in this process, both of you are going to wonder whose side I'm on. I want to tell you right now, I'm just going to save you the trouble. I am on your children's side 100% of the time because you two created this mess. They didn't. Nice. So that's whose side I'm on. Now, if you go back to your question about what are the triggers, the triggers are thought processes, thought patterns that if you begin to look for the negative in your spouse, you can find it. If you look for the negative in yourself, you can find it. And what you focus on, you accentuate. So you can you draw out more of that behavior by focusing on it, and it becomes a self-fulfilling cycle. Hmm. So what you want to do is you want to change the pattern of thought. And I give people a practical example. I call it the sticky note test. If you take a yellow sticky pad and Every day for 30 days, you write on that pad something that you love or appreciate about your spouse, your partner, and you put it where they can find it. And it has to be different every day for 30 days. (laughs) At the end of that 30 days, you will feel different about your partner. You will see them differently and they will behave differently because people tend to live up or down to your expectations. Interesting. Do you think there's a point to where that, I mean, I'm sure any spouse could find, because I think generally people don't marry bad people, or be, why would they marry him to begin with? You know, well, it, it's not bad people, but people marry people with whom they are never going to be compatible long term. There we go. Yeah. So it, that's what I'm thinking is even if you find 30 things and I'm not I'm maybe I'm playing devil's advocate. I don't know, because I saw and this was another thing, right, that wasn't so compatible when I was pastoring is that I saw the same exact thing you just said, is that some people were just never compatible and you're not allowed mm-hmm. to really tell somebody, hey, go get a divorce, you know, because it's uh, it's not it's true. You know, there's some areas to 
where they don't feel it's biblical. I do in some scenarios, just my personal beliefs, because I've studied in my own ways too. And I see some scenarios, especially if it comes to abuse, whether it's physical, yes. whether it's uh, verbal, whether it's mental, emotional, any kind of abuse whatsoever. At that point, it's like, why are you staying in this in this union? Because it, there, there's no way, and whatever, if it's a church that's out there, they can say that I'm going to burn in the fiery pits of hell for thinking this because I know I'm not. They might think so. There's God never wants anybody to be put through something like that. There is no, no, no chivalry or anything like that, no selflessness in having to suffer through those things for any long period of time. Now, still, I think that no matter what, because generally speaking, they may not be compatible, but they're probably not a bad person because I don't believe anybody is truly born a bad person. It's another belief that I hold. Yeah, and you may disagree I'll with tell you, me. <laughs> given some of the things I've seen in the law, I will tell you, I, I don't agree with that. I think it's almost universally true, but not completely. I would jump on board with you for that, for, for sure. Maybe I'm a little bit more of an optimist, but let's just say for the sake of argument, the the 30, the, the post-it note test, I love that. I, I do. I want to jump into that myself, you know, just because it would be fun to do. And I, I know that probably most marriages would be able to find 30 great things to say about their their spouse, their their partner. Now, at the same time, I think that, or would you agree with the statement? Maybe, I don't know. Could you still not be compatible even though you can find 30 good things? Yeah, you can. Because In fact, I wrote a book called Unveiled, Secrets to a Marriage That Lasts Forever. And one of the things I talk about is, guys, before you say I do, there are questions you need to ask. And many of those questions surround four primary topics, sex, money, children, and religion. If you are fundamentally incompatible on any of those four, I mean, and I'm not talking about, I like this, you like that. I'm talking about core value. So for example, if a woman says, I will never be fulfilled as a woman, as a human being, unless I have children. And you have a wonderful man who says, at my core, I will never bring children into this horrible world. I don't care how many wonderful characteristics the two of them have or how many common interests they have. At their core, they are fundamentally incompatible because to remain together, one of them has to give up who they are as a human being and it won't work. It will be the cycle of resentment, distance, rejection. It, It won't work long term. So why not ask those questions before you say I do, and let's make sure that you are compatible on the core values, because all the rest you can work out. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Now, is that any particular order? I'm curious, because you said sex, money, children, and religion. Is that really good? Because I'm just throwing it out there, because where does the human mind go? I understand where our hearts and emotions go, but where does the human mind go? Because our carnal nature... where the human mind goes probably depends on whether you're male or female. Oh, hey, now. Yeah, I like that. That makes sense. <laughs> you know, and, and the, but the reality is the children are an issue. And particularly when you're talking about sure. a second marriage. Yeah. You know, all of those things that we talked about earlier, what are the standards going to be in our household? How are we going to enforce discipline? Are we both going to be able to discipline all of the children? Because that's a fundamental problem. Yeah. If you have one partner or the other who says, these are not your children, you are never going to be able to discipline those children, stop. Don't go to the altar. Just go find somebody else. You're wasting your time. This isn't going to work. Interesting, man. So 
the warning signs that we're talking about, you know, let's say we're compatible, you know, or I say we're, but I, that's not what I mean. Let's say that whoever it is, is compatible and they go to the altar, they say, I do, because I see this in friends. I see this in family members. You know, my sister is actually going through a divorce right now. And I, I see exactly what you're saying in that there really was no compatibility to begin with. You know, but the, mm-hmm. there's multi, what's the percentage? I don't even know of marriages that have problems. If you want to call them problems, it's probably a lot because it's things you just have to work through. And usually from what I've seen too, in the, the world that I came from, it was baggage that you took in relationship baggage with your childhood, with a previous relationship that you may have had. You might not have been married before. That's okay. But you just brought that baggage in and never really dealt with it before going down to that altar. Look, Rick, my view is 100% of marriages have problems. Yeah. Successful ones solve the problems just like businesses. Every business has problems. Getting customers, retaining customers, getting products, delivering services. The successful ones figure out how to overcome those problems. You really just have to say, where am I going to go with this relationship? And what's my level of commitment to it on the front end? You know, we've almost become a disposable society. If I don't like this marriage, I'll just change it. It's like changing the channel with your clicker, except it's not. Your comment about baggage is dead on. If you look at the statistics on the number of young women who have been sexually abused at some point during their lives, the statistics say four in 10. My own experience as a bishop says five or six in 10. And talking to women of various ages, they say that five or six is wrong. It's 95 to 100 percent. Yeah. So here's what that means for your sons. If you have sons, Rick, here's what it means for every man. You the odds are very, very high that any woman you are looking at forming a lasting relationship with has at one point or another experienced sexual abuse. Goodness. So what does that mean in terms of her ability to form a lasting, loving relationship with you? It means love is based on trust and respect. Yeah. And though that abuse creates enormous trust issues that you have to be man enough and patient enough to work through. You're going to have to make deposits in that trust bank every day by the way you speak, act, react toward her. Because what she's looking for is confirmation that you're like the other guys who hurt her. Sure. And you gotta prove she's wrong. And you gotta be patient and let, you gotta go at her speed of trust, not yours. Yeah, that that patient side can be, I'm sure for a man, because men always want everything super fast, right? You know, and our brains, turn on you know a dime well it's almost like a light switch and i even have an opinion for me because i look back at my life and for me i'm probably too trusting but for me trust is always given i i never ask anybody to really earn that and it's almost theirs to break even from the beginning so i mean when you and i first met after having the first conversation it's like yeah i trust stan and then from that point on it's like well Will there be a point, and I don't ever think this way, I don't because until it actually happens, will there be a point to where that trust will be broken? And then some of that is earned back. You know, for me, it's different. And I don't know if this is a male thing. It's just how my, my heart reaches out to the world is just trusting almost immediately. And it's burned me, too, in the past. I get that. Yeah. 
I, I understand. I think I don't know that it's male female. I think it's experiential. But it also is that you, in many respects, have the ability to create. If you read the book The Secret by Rhonda Byrne, you can create the world that you want to live in. Yeah. By your beliefs and your expectations and your actions. The you law of attraction in, you're talking about, the, right? The, exactly. Yeah. Yep. And, and I do the same thing as you do. Yeah. Now, in law, there are things you can't be trusting about things because there are people who will take advantage of you, but they're also taking advantage of your client, and your job is to protect your client. So you almost follow the old uh, Reagan philosophy, trust but verify. Yep, yep. Right on. Even in cybersecurity, because, you know, I get into a lot of the physical side, the human side, which is insider threats. And it's my firm's job to question things every single day of our lives. Like, which person is going to screw over the owner next? That's always the the thought process because it's our job and we're literally paid to look for the negative. Literally paid to look for that bad seed. And it's um, so maybe it is. Maybe it's conditioning for me. Maybe it's training because, you know, I I have CIA training that's in me and surveillance and elicitation. But it's I'm able to switch on that dime. And it's probably experiential from a lot of those things. I'm tracking with you on that. Because even there, I can, I can try to find the bad guy any single time, just like you probably can too in law. And immediately when I go home and talk to my family, those, those emotions, those feelings don't even exist for me. It's not even, it's almost like compartmentalized and it's a way that I've trained my thought process is it. And to me, I almost think that that's a great strength, but at the same time, maybe that could be a problem in relationships for me too, as I think about that, you know, separating those things out. Cause I don't think I'm a fully blended human in that way because I've been trained to do these things. You remember the old Dagwood and Blondie cartoon? Oh, no, I don't know that one. <laughs> oh, it, it's older than you. It, it's, I, look, I remember. Uh, some of your audience will relate to it, but they were a couple, sort of a '50s couple, and at the they had a tree in the front yard. And every time he would come home from work, he would literally walk over to the tree and physically hang his troubles on the tree. He called it his trouble tree. And then he would walk into the house and leave them outside. And the next morning, if he had to go, when he go back to work, he'd go back and he'd pick his troubles up and he'd take them to work. But he didn't allow them to come into the relationship and color the way he responded to his wife or his children. Mm, yeah. We've got to be able to separate. We owe our family our very best. And we tend to give our job our very best. Yeah. And give our family what's left. We bat it backwards. I hear in terms you. of our time, our focus, our energy, because if you're happy at home, you're creating a great environment for your children to grow up in, and you can fix anything at work. If your relationship's good, you can fix your business, you can fix a client problem, you can fix anything else. But it doesn't matter how much money you're making. If you're miserable at home, you're miserable. Right on. And there's a, I mean, business wise, you can fix anything from a business perspective by throwing more money at it. I know that, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter. I've done this, you know, okay, this is going to work. It's just a matter of how much is it going to take to get it to work. That's not the case at home, man. And I, you know, I know that. And it's, it's not something I've ever looked at in this perspective, but I've seen individuals do this to where, okay, I'm just going to keep buying gifts and lavish this person with everything. And hopefully at some point they're going to turn around and, you know, my, my husband, my wife, because I just give them all these things that, and spend so much money on them that they're eventually going to turn around and like me and think, 
think that we're compatible. Yeah, and I know that's never going to work that way. There's two problems with it. One of the things you're doing is when you're struggling at home and you don't know what to do about that because it's much harder to set goals in a relationship than it is goals in a business or physical goals in the gym. You, what you tend to do is you tend to withdraw from that place where you're experiencing pain and go where you're experiencing success. So you spend more time on your business, which creates a problem in your relationship. And the buying is a great kind of a lead into the love languages. If yeah, your right spouse's yep. love language is not gifts, it doesn't matter what you buy them. If their love language is time or physical touch yep. or words of affirmation, and you're giving them gifts, effectively you're giving them nothing that they need. You're giving them what you want them to need. So you're devaluing them as human beings, and they know that. Right on. I love the love languages. I know mine, I've taken the test, and it, it shows with me even historically. Mine is quality time. That's my number one. Yeah, and it, we could literally not be doing anything, just sitting on a couch, not even speaking. And I'm good because that's that's just it. Because I just like the proximity. I've I've always What's liked. What's your wife's love language? Hers is words of affirmation. So it's something to where I need to constantly do that. And it's interesting, too, because with the love languages, there's ways that people receive love and there's also ways that people generally show love. Mm -hmm. And I know the way that I show love is buying gifts. You know, so that's one reason I I brought that up a little bit earlier, you know, for, for me. But my wife understands that that is a way that I show it because I love to do that. So even though it may not be something that she wants or likes, whatever, she recognizes that that's a way that I show it when I give her something. And this is literally saying that I love you. But it can't be the only thing. I get that because words of affirmation is really how she receives it. And I understand well, that, that's that about what her. Fills her up. That's what, that's what fills her up emotionally. Yeah. And, you know, it was the interesting thing that people often don't think about is you should apply the love languages to your relationship with your children. Right on. Each one of your children receives love differently. With if you have a, you know, one of your children, it may be, it may be the quality time. It may be out throwing a ball. It might be yeah. going to with them to their dance class. It might be going sitting through a music lesson. Yep. And if the other one is words of affirmation, and you do all those things but don't do that, you're not filling them up in the way you're not meeting their needs. For you're sure. Meeting your needs. Right on. My uh, my oldest son's, I know his is quality time, like mine. <laughs> my my daughter, who's um, my son's twin, hers is words of affirmation. From the very day that she was born, I would tell her how pretty she is. You know, And it's fun because even now being 13, she's still not embarrassed to be around me with friends. You know, she, I, I don't th- I know that should have developed by this point, you know, but I will still just walk up to her in the middle of friends. If it's at theater or whatever, I'm like, you did a really, really amazing job. I'm proud of you. And she'll just smile like almost bashfully even in front of all of her 13 year old friends. It's amazing, man, because that's what fills me up is seeing her smile. Then my youngest son go. is physical touch. The dude loves hugs. He just loves me just walking. No reason whatsoever. Just put my arm around him, giving him the biggest squeeze in the world. And that, go. that's good for him. Well, you know, it's fun. You you have these relationships with your children. As a parent, one of the things I think is a great thing to do is t- date your children, too. You know, if the date is yeah. going to the, the batting cage, if the date's going to the driving range, if the date's just going to have a, a burger or a milkshake together, it's your children react differently to you one-on-one than they do with their mom or with if you have two of your children. Yeah. Yep. They need one-on-one time with you. I'm going to tell you a quick story. I have a uh, now 16-year-old granddaughter, 
who she's my workout buddy, my gym buddy. Last year, she went to her first high school homecoming football game. I took her and her friend. I let them out. I went and parked. I went up and sat in the stands, watched the game. They knew I, she knew I was staying. And I was looking around. I didn't see her. I realized afterwards she had picked a spot on the fence to sit that was almost directly in front of me so she could see me. And when the game was over, I walked up to her. There's three or four boys around her and her, her girlfriend. And I just said, ladies, you ready to go? And it was like watching the Red Sea part. The guys just moved. And she came up and just wrapped her arms around me and said, hi, Papa, let's go home. That was just a cool thing, you know, to have. And, and children yeah. so need that. And especially girls, they so need a relationship with a safe male figure. That's awesome, man. I, yeah. I take all my kids out ever since. I mean, I've never had a kid that's been alone. I've had twins ever since my twins were born. And mm-hmm. even since then, even when they were, I started when they were one month old, man, just taking them out individually, just taking Perfect. them with me. Cause it's, I, it's so fun seeing them interact with each other and how different they are when they're by themselves with, with me mm-hmm. or with their mom. It, it's amazing, man, because a lot of different portions of their personality start to shine because it's a different interaction. It's, it, it just fills me up, man. I, uh, I'm glad we've gone the way because, like I said, we hit people hard when we started <laughs> with a lot of with a lot of gloom and doom. You know, and I think we kind of drew the line in the sand too by talking about that compatibility. You know, and that's something that I think if these can be talked out, because you're talking really, if I call them pillars in the book that you, or or points, whatever you want to call it, you know, sex, money, children, and religion, those four things are probably the most important things to talk about before you walk down to the aisle. Uh, I'm with you on that. Let's say you get involved with that, you know, even those might be somewhat compatible. There's things that you uncover as you go through a marriage too that you might yes. not have known <laughs> about your spouse to begin with. And at some point in time, too, there will be one spouse or partner that is stronger emotionally than the other one or in a better place, just a, whatever, spiritually, emotionally, physically, whatever it is, than the other one. How do you get through that? How can relationships overcome it when one partner is stronger at that moment in time? For me, that's a constant one partner is always stronger than the other one, depending on what's going on in other areas of their life. The best part of a long-term relationship is knowing that your partner's there and you're going to be able to rely on them when you need it. I mean, I, I met my wife, I was 17. I had just turned 17. She turned 16 about a week before that, and uh, before I met her. And three months later, we were engaged. So she was three months after being 16 years old. I was about four months after being 17. Wow. Uh, we will, in July, we celebrated 44 years. And it's just, it's work. It wasn't always easy. It wasn't, look, it wasn't a bread of roses the whole time. I'm no picnic. I get that. I way out kicked my coverage and I just held on tight. That was my goal. That was the deal. But when you really look at it, it comes back to that commitment issue. Yeah. When you got the basic compatibility, when there is no abuse, when there is no serial infidelity, can you make a marriage great? The answer is yes, if you're willing to work at it. You know, 90% of success in life is showing up. It means showing up in your relationship. 
That means you're not on the TV, you're not out in the in the yard, you're not on the Pinterest, you're not on Facebook, you're not watching ESPN. It's showing up for your partner hmm. being there and letting them say, I had a good day, I had a bad day, I had I need, I don't need. Here's my one my sort of tip of the day for guys. You can win by shutting up and listening. You don't have to fix them. They're not broken. They just want you to hear them and validate their their feelings and you're a hero and you don't risk saying something stupid when you keep your mouth shut <laughs> guys tend to do that a lot don't they i know i have <laughs> yeah. well we're fixers we yeah. want to fix things for sure so we we take their talking to us about a problem or challenge as an invitation to fix it or them yeah that is the last thing they want yeah, I know a Absolute lot of times listen. women just want a, a listener right there, like you're saying, validating their feelings. And then when they ask for help, that's when it's okay or if you, they ask for your opinion. Or there's ways, Ooh. of course, that you, as you're married for a long time too or with, a, with the same person for a long time, you start to know their trigger points and you try to steer clear from those when you get into those moments when you just need them to listen because that never goes well man i mean again speaking from experience that never goes well <laughs> yeah. that's true yeah and i've also seen too i mean it, like publicly uh, with friends and their spouses in front of me they'll get into arguments and i'll even be able to identify the trigger points before they do and i'm like why are you even doing that you know if there's no point then to just get under the other person's skin why would you want to do that you know and i don't know if that comes to compatibility or what it is you know but then there's another scenario too and this it, it, there's a lot you know in our industries being entrepreneurs this is pretty typical from what i see you know which is a lot of the the listener base too is you might have you might start out at a certain point to where you feel like you're running the same race in a marriage and then at some point along I have friends like this too man at some point along one person's ambitions and life goals tend to accelerate faster than the other and the other sure. one feels a little left behind you know what advice would you have for both of those people in that kind of relationship um, I start with a story my wife and I uh, obviously got married very young and her grandmother who was a very very wise woman pulled her aside one day and said to her, you have to grow with him. You have to grow with him. I really feel like all of us, I mean, the, the group that you, the, the circle that you and I run in, yeah. and probably a lot of your listeners, we always are working on personal development. For sure. We're looking, we're reading, we're going to seminars, we're, we're trying to make ourselves better, physically, mentally, emotionally, financially, all the time. Staying because, in one place is like death for us. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And, and then, the, but there are a lot of other people who, for who change is as scary for us, for them, as staying in the same place is for us. But what they need to be doing is be encouraged to work on their personal development in their own way. You grow up to complement each other, not to balance each other. That's if I had like a like a mic to drop right now, man, that would be it. Can you say that one more time? You grow to you grow to complement each other, not to balance each other. That balance, man, that would be a constant just almost I, I could see this. That would be like just a struggle that you will never, ever win if you're trying to you're balance right. the other person out. You know, complimenting my uh, my wife was actually on a podcast, this a podcast a year ago, and she labeled it as completing, not competing. 
You know, I love it's, it. it's, the, it's the same. I love it. It's the same principle, you know, but yeah, gr- growing to to complement each other, man, that, that's how it's got to be because otherwise it's going to be a constant struggle. If you're trying to balance the other person out, it's almost like you're saying that there's something wrong with them to begin with. And I'm with you because unless the other person is growing, because there will be points, they're absolutely in every relationship, every marriage. We see it a lot more in our industry and in what we do in our circles because there's it's what we do. It is, you know, and I know that I would die if I stop changing. You know, if you want to call it like a shark scenario, whatever, it's not, you know, you stop swimming and you die. That's how I feel. If I'm not constantly changing and evolving, or if I'm not going after what I see myself and my potential 10 years from now, I feel like I'm compromising and I'm cheating myself. And then even worse, even worse than that, I feel like I'm cheating my family if I'm not being everything I can be. So you are by nature a creator. You need to create. You need to create a new you, a new business, a new challenge, a new a new outreach. There are other people though who are nurturers. They're not by nature creators. And that's one of the places where they have to make allowances for you to be a creator and support you in that. You have to say, but her position or her goal or her focus, she is a nurturer. I need to support and sustain and lift her in that because as long as we lift each other, it doesn't matter that our strengths are the same because we all know you focus on your strengths and you hire your weaknesses. You don't try to balance yourself. Yeah, for you sure. Go with what you're good at, man. Yeah. <laughs> if I worked on all my weaknesses, man, I would be just a depressed pile of goo every single day. <laughs> and you'd also have no time to do the great things that you do. You couldn't sure. have accomplished what you've done if you were focused on your weaknesses. Right on. I, I look at things, it's like, well, I really suck at this. I tried it and I sucked, and there's no way I'm going to try that again because I, if I try to live in that all the time, I'm going to be working on that for 20 years and I still won't be any good. I know that. <laughs> so I'll focus. I love that. I'll focus on what I'm good at. And how, there's a lot of questions that I have on here, but we've talked about a lot of them already, man. Like, how do you build a marriage that lasts forever? That's fantastic. Oh, this is the one I'm going to leave you with, all right? Because we're coming close to our time here. This is fantastic. Okay. I, I saw that your your highest awards are and your th- your best titles are husband, father, and papa, which is uh, amazing, man. I appreciate your heart on that. You know, how did become? I've talked about this with myself on the show before. How did becoming a parent and a papa change you? I had my first child twelve days after I turned twenty years old, and I remember the feeling I had when they put that child in my arms. Yes. That feeling has never gone away. Yeah. And in some ways, being a papa, being a grandparent is even better because you get the feeling and when they get fussy or need changing, you can give them back. (laughs) But I, I have been great friends with all of my grandchildren all of their lives and leaving them a legacy you know am I going to leave them Bill Gates fortune no but if I leave them a good name and leave them knowing that they are loved and valuable and perfect just as they are I've done as much to build them up as I can possibly do that's amazing I love that we ended on a high note, too. This has been just a journey, man. I appreciate this a lot. You have an amazing 
website that we need to send people to. And it's a program too, right? Can you tell us, tell me a little bit about Relationship Magic Academy? When I started on this journey to help, I, the mission is to save a million marriages in the next five years. Oh, wow. Because if I save a million marriages, I save a lot more than a million children. And creating safety, security, happiness for people, you change their world and you don't just change their world, you change generations. So I created Relationship Magic Academy to create content, to share the content, to do coaching, do the program. And they said, look, take the basics and put them into a system. A system that people can do as a self-study if they want to. And I did. So it's called the Diamond Relationship Formula because diamonds are forever and marriages should be too. So it contains a lot of courses, a lot of individual modules, and also a formula, a mathematical formula, to let you measure the quality of your relationship today and measure its growth and change over time. Because one of the things I found that was the most difficult when you're trying to help people in a relationship is to help them set goals. How do you set a goal to be closer to my spouse? How do you measure that? You know, goal has got to be objective and measurable. How do you do that? So I was working on the course and, and uh, Mark Enzen, who was a BA member, said, well, can you put that into a formula? And my initial reaction was no. It's ephemeral. But I said, he planted the seed. And I started to think about it. And I thought, there is a formula. And the formula is QR equals QQCC. And you can measure any relationship based on that formula. QR equals QQCC. I heard that right, didn't I? You did. Awesome. You did. I want to check this out myself, man, because, I mean, I just, uh, no matter what, you know, even in a great marriage, you always have room to improve. Mm-hmm. And I, that's that's one thing that I think everybody should take from this, too, because you're not, even though you might be doing great right now, there's going to be a point in the next year, two, five years, whatever it is, to where you're not doing so great. When someone's ambitions passes the other or someone's a little bit weaker than the other at that point in time, and how do you manage that and get through it? It's constant work, man. It is. It is. I appreciate you, Stan. I, I'm glad we went this way today. I really am. We didn't even talk about COVID and how relationships have changed, but that's okay. Because <laughs> this is timeless. This is absolutely timeless. And no matter what, even anything that's happened this year, because, you know, divorce rates are up, you know, yes. just uh, tensions are up because everybody's stuck in the same physical place for so long, the house, right? And it, there, there's a, there is a beauty in distance sometimes, you know, even if it's just for a work day, because it's just human beings, you know, that's, that's how it is. But this is timeless. And no matter if it's, you know, you've got COVID divorce on your mind, whatever it is, this can help. Stan can help. The Relationship Magic Academy can help. And that's just relationshipmagicacademy.com. That'll be in the show notes. And everyone can connect with you. Is it Stan360 on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Anna.com, right? Stan360.com. You can find all of my legal and relationship social media. Nice. That's awesome. Stan, thanks for being on today, my man. I really appreciate you. Thanks for the opportunity, Rick. It's a pleasure. Hey, thanks for going all in with me today. Subscribe to the show so you get the new episodes when they come out. Rate and review the show if you're listening on iTunes. Follow me on social media at Mr. Rick Jordan. As always, you can find links and references to anything we've talked about in this episode in the show notes. And finally, share this episode 
with someone who you think might be able to level up their life by listening. I am Rick Jordan and I approve this message.